0: This episode of Troxel is supported by ArcVision. Save 5% off anything and everything, including any type of license of the just released Rhino version 8, when you buy from arcvision.com slash store and use code TRXL at checkout. That's A-R-C-H-V-I-S-I-O-N dot com slash store and use code TRXL at checkout and save 5% off your entire order. Just make sure you do it before December 31st, 2023. This episode of Troxel is supported by Avail. Avail helps AECO firms better manage, organize, and navigate information faster. Visit getavail.com today. This episode of Troxel is supported by Confluence, a small conference event for AEC professionals and technology providers to discuss industry trends and ideas together. It's put on by the fine folks at Avail. Learn more about the upcoming invite-only event happening in the spring of 2024 in New York City during this episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Troxel Podcast. I'm Evan Troxel. Just a quick announcement before we get into this one that this is the last episode of 2023, I've got some great episodes in the production pipeline here at Troxel HQ, and I am so looking forward to releasing them. But we'll all have to wait until 2024 to hear them because I'm taking some much needed time off to reset. I plan on spending some quality time with my family, get out on the trails on my mountain bike, and do some rock climbing. And I hope that you too enjoy the last couple of weeks of 2023 this was a big year for the podcast i released 34 new episodes this year which i think is pretty decent considering i moved to a new state during that time i also launched a new website and aec tech newsletter which you should definitely go subscribe to at trxl.co and hit one of the subscribe buttons on the page there i'd like to know your thoughts on the podcast this year especially what was your favorite episode You can send me an email at evan at evantroxel.com, or you can get in touch through my feedback form at trxl.co slash feedback. I want to give a special thanks to all of the guests who have come on the show this year. There are way too many to name, but you can see all of them on my latest website edition at trxl.co slash guests. I also want to thank my partners and sponsors of the podcast this year, who included Randall Stevens and Jim Clifton at Avail and Confluence, Boris Rappaport and Alex Osinenko at ArcIT, Clifton Harness and Laura Passiano at TestFit, and Corey Rubidoux at ArcVision. These are truly incredible people, and I am so grateful to get the chance to work with them and talk about them on this podcast. They really are supporting what I'm doing here. And my deepest gratitude goes out to all of you listeners as we track the coevolution of architecture and technology together. All right. In this episode, I welcome Emil Polson. Emil is an application developer and AEC technology specialist focused on developing tools for the building industry. With a background in architecture, engineering, and software, his goal is to enhance design processes through technology, from concept to implementation. Currently based in Stockholm, Sweden, Emil works remotely for Core Studio at Thornton Tomasetti. He also runs ModelUp, a 3D configurator studio, on a part time basis. In this episode, we discuss the challenges and opportunities of implementing new technologies in the AEC industry, both internally within a firm but also externally as products. We delve into the importance of communication, buy-in and cultural change when introducing new tools and processes, the culture of AEC tech and the entrepreneurial spirit at TT, Emil's insights from his experience in developing tools and pushing for adoption within a global engineering firm, the benefits of participating in hackathons like the recent 2023 AEC tech event hosted by Core Studio in New York City, and we talked about his work on web based 3D configurators for digital products at ModelUp. So, without further ado, I bring you Emil Polson. Emil, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you.
1: Thanks, a Pleasure to be here.
0: You are streaming live to me from Sweden. I I can't remember if you're the first Swedish guest, but I just had somebody from Norway on. I'm going to hit all the all the Nordic countries here, I hope. <laughs> that's
1: all right. As long as you don't mention Switzerland, I think you're good. Cuz okay. that's the common mix-up, right? I think they they right. they did an IPO of Spotify at Wall Street, you know, and they rolled out the Swiss flag. And everyone was Are like Are you
0: serious? What's going on? What? Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's a common mix-up. Yeah. I I've been to Sweden one time. I so so Hovard Vaushag was just on the show and he's oh, yeah. in Oslo. He's in and Oslo. Carl Christensen from Autodesk from Oslo uh, also, I believe. And now you're where where are you in Sweden? Give us an Stockholm. idea of the geography. Stockholm. Okay. So you're Capital. I've been to Stockholm one time and um nice. I'm my my mother's side of the family is from Finland and that was mm. kind of the impetus to go to the you know, just to go visit. And yeah. so I had to do it all, had to do all of it for sure. Um, That's but great. absolutely wonderful, wonderful uh, place on earth to go visit for sure.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's it's a good place, I guess, in many different aspects. Uh, pretty dark um, these, these days or this season of the year, you know. This is, um, yeah. <laughs> But not emotionally. We... <laughs> maybe
0: maybe this maybe this season. But yeah, I was wondering where you were going to go with it when when you.
1: <laughs> no, I, I I meant actual dark. Like yes, you know, right. I think at the peak around in uh, December, close to Christmas, we have like five hours of sunlight or something like that. So right, you got a charge during the summer, and so you survive the winter. That's how
0: it works. You're at those northern latitudes. Yes, yep. yes, definitely. Uh, I have experienced that. I did not go to Sweden when it was this time of year. I went in the summertime, and uh, so but I have experienced what you're talking about in Alaska, where mm. the sun just moves kind of horizontally yep. across yep. the horizon. It, ne- you know, it, it it just never goes down. Part, part of the year and then the other half of the year like it just never comes up right no, <laughs> <It's> Exactly. Like, <laughs> yep, yep, it's, yep. yeah and that is a, a a mind trip for somebody who lives you know the lower latitudes and it's just like you know t- the typical structure all day and we can't even get used to a time change right we, we had mm. we just we just had daylight saving time and yeah. even that just throws us off completely it, it it when I see things like that where I can't get used to for weeks at a time one hour difference or another example and this is just a, a super silly example moving the trash can from under the sink from one side to the other and remembering which door to open it, it's <laughs> incredible for me how hard that is to just update my habit of which one to open it just <laughs> gives me a lot of pause when I think about change in AEC industry. <laughs> how hard, how difficult change is when I can't even remember which cabinet door to open, implementing new technologies, implementing new... If, if I can't even remember where the trash is, how am I going to change my business to adopt new technologies to help me do things better? And it's... I, do you ever think of things like that because that that's yeah, what goes on in my mind? <laughs> totally
1: for sure. I mean, I think for a long time in the beginning of my career, I thought it was all about technology, just creating better tools, you know more mm-hmm. efficient tools, more efficient processes. but really it's a cultural thing, isn't it? Like you got to get the buy-in from the people you work with and it, I mean if no one really buys in, then there's not really much meaning to developing these tools anyway so um, for sure I mean. Yeah, just like having everyone on board uh, with what you're doing, and I think that's also something that we, we we do quite a lot in Core Studio. I mean, one one part is obviously developing the technology and the tools, but mm-hmm. um, just having that sort of mechanism to reach out and and um, yeah, just like connect with people within the company and get their input and really make a environment where everyone feels involved is is super important.
0: It's a core attribute of leadership also. And I, I think for those who are in leadership, it feels annoying. But for those who are not in leadership, it's a it's a requirement to understand is that the same message must be repeated over and yeah. over and over, especially when you're going in a new direction, you're charting some new territory, maybe for your office or for your practice or whatever. And it's, if you're in leadership, you're... It's like social media. It's like I don't want to post the same thing even twice. I don't even want to talk about my episodes more than once because I, I have this release schedule of every week, and it's like, okay, that the I'm done with the other one. I'm on to the new one. This yeah. is very much how it is in practice with projects as well. right? But the idea of repetition to form new habits and make yeah. sure everybody's on the same page. Not everybody yeah. hears the same thing at the same time. Not everybody right. interprets it the same way each time. And... And so why I say it's annoying is because like, its I don't want to even hear myself, let alone my peers, talk about the same thing over and over and over. But again, like, that's the only way things actually change. And so many times we see this with digital practice or IT departments, where they, they deploy a new tool onto the firm and nobody uses it, right? But right. because there's like this one, like, let's throw it over the wall and let's just expect adoption. And that never happens. And, never but, works. <laughs> but but we're always, in, in that mode, we're always, because we're onto the next thing and the next yeah. thing, and we need to implement, 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 and we need to see digital transformation, and we need to see the march of change, but if nobody's adopting it, there's no change happening, right? And so then it comes back to this idea of communication and yeah. buy-in, like you're talking about. And, and it's like, because we don't understand marketing <laughs> we don't understand promotion mm. we don't understand habit forming to it to its core like we're we do projects and we can treat deployments as projects we can treat mm. new technologies as you know implementations as projects and we're, we're typically just project minded about it okay yeah. that's done next that one's done next it's yeah. very kind of assembly line but understanding the psychological, the implementation of yeah. different languages and communication styles that different people in different places need to hear, because that's yeah. how they will latch onto it best, is an art. And uh, yeah, anyway, I, I'm we're totally digressing here and, and getting away from. The point. But it, it, these are the kinds of things that I I I love talking about this with with smart people who have who have done this. And you're you're developing at Core Studio. You're developing things for. The industry, you're developing tools, I should say, for the industry, and we've always seen a gap between innovation and like deployment of tools and yeah. adoption of tools, and and you're even coming at it from you're, you're supporting the industry because you're structural engineers, and it's got to be even harder because you're like one from the, from the architecture side of things, you're one step removed from the the building you're you're, you're buildings you're creating systems for buildings yeah. and i would just wonder if communicationally if that's even a word how how do you guys deal with that how do how do you is it through going to conferences and constantly talking about what this technology can deliver showing it in use showing how people are using it that you continue to kind of educate the market on on these new tools
1: no, for sure. I mean, obviously, that's that's one part. I think it's, it's probably a good idea to separate between the kind of internal push and the external push. I mean, I would say, mm-hmm. like, probably 85% of all the tools we develop is really internal tools. Mm-hmm. And then the um, process gets somewhat easier because, I mean, you're kind of colleagues with your users. So you can always, like... You know walk around the office tap someone on the shoulder and like you know what's up is it isn't it working like what's what's going on etc right. so um but that's a process as well i mean as 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 you were talking about like it's it's not going to happen automatically like it, yeah. there has to be some channel of communication and there is has to be some some way of kind of spreading the word um and that can be a challenge for sure because it's always like you know, if you look at tech companies, like you usually have someone dealing with the like UX, someone dealing with the design of a user interface, someone actually developing the the front end, someone developing the back end, someone actually being the product manager, you know, there is like this huge list of different, um, um, roles really. And, uh, typically what happens at, um, uh, R and D departments or, um, you know computational specialist departments at architecture and engineering offices is that you usually have all these people uh, or like all these role crammed into uh few people so you, mm-hmm. you you become sort of a master of kind of handling everything in a way and that can be quite um, refreshing i think because you get to see really like all different uh, aspects of the of the process i mean everything from idea creation to really implementation and then you know adoption and just getting that feedback and, and so forth so um yeah, I think that's that's really, you know, where we do most of our communication, like just like internally deploying the tools and, you know, getting adoption internally. And yeah. I mean, I guess that's also a benefit of having, you know, 1,500 people working in the same company using the tools because, you know, you can test it out and if if, if it actually works, you know, um, you can start sketching on the ideas of actually getting it out outside of the company as
0: well. I want to ask a foreshadow. yeah I'm going to foreshadow a question. I don't want you to answer right now, but I I want to do this to kind of pre-bookmark a piece of the conversation <laughs> which right. is you your your practicing structural engineering office and offices global presence and you have decided to productize these internal tools and I'm sure that there's a whole decision-making process about what what's useful internally versus maybe even what you would push out externally. Um, and I don't know how closely those products match, right? Um, but the idea of making that decision to productize and and deploy software tools, I think is super interesting. Most firms don't do it. If they do, it's kind of you know an open source kind of a manner. You're not trying to make it a, a, a viable income stream necessarily because they're they're very small, piecemeal things. You've figured out how to deploy, bigger things and put them out there as products you have to support them like you mentioned all the key pieces of of what you're doing and and I guess you know it's the whole idea of what Thornton Thomas City has done with kind of core studio incubating and accelerating other people's ideas turning them into products I think is super interesting like I said I don't want to get there yet I, I want to get there so that's why I'm bringing <laughs> it up now because it was crossing my mind as, as you're saying all those things before we do that Emil, give us an idea of of where you're coming from and why you've decided this career path for you.
1: No, for sure. So um, I studied architecture and engineering at Chalmers University here in Sweden. Um, back in, I started back in two thousand and nine. I did my bachelor's degree um, three years. So that's really a mix of you know pretty, kind of typical structural engineering uh, program, mm-hmm. and so that's essentially 50 percent of the the program and then you have the other 50 percent which is pretty typical in um, you know, architectural design mm. projects and, and stuff so what happens is like you start maybe not for the first year maybe like somewhere around like the second year you start to think about um, hey how can I actually apply my skills within design and architecture into structural engineering the way that you, you know you mm. start thinking about engineering problems and vice versa like hey can I actually bring in some of these um um engineering concepts into my design projects and to kind of bridge that um the way that i see it, is, it uh, at least is uh, through computation and, and and tooling really and just like being able to kind of sketch mathematically that's that's uh, it's a pretty interesting concept i think just like mm-hmm. being creative with engineering and math and programming and i mean i i guess i i i joined the the grasshopper cult quite uh quite soon in my career, probably, I don't know, 2010 or something like that, and kind of never looked back, really. Uh, and that was, I guess, the the gateway drug to getting to heavier stuff, um, obviously, like some some scripting and, and programming. And um, so, yeah, I did that. I took a gap year between my master's and my bachelor um, and um, moved to the UK, where I um, did an internship at Bureau Happel. So um, that was a great time. I I worked with some really uh, amazing people and got to work in some really, really interesting problems. Um, Mainly, like, you know, football stadiums and, yeah, some bigger um, train station buildings and stuff like that. And, you know, there wasn't really any choice there. Like, we had to automate things and processes. And, um, I mean, especially if you work for engineering companies, um, one common problem is just like, turning geometry into clean stick models that you can analyze, right? Mm. So that's, that's, that's an important topic. So um, lots of interoperability, like just lots of automation in terms of, you know, really kind of observing how engineers work and how they design components and systems and trying to take their process and, you know, work with that. It's always about context and just understanding how how your colleagues work. And, you know, you can kind of attack the automation um aspect from 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 that angle so um yeah kind of did that for a year went back to chalmers where I completed my um structural engineering masters and then I continued with my architecture masters so I have a duo kind of master's degree there uh although I've never actually really officially worked as neither an architect or a structural engineer I mean I kind of got into this um um you know hybrid basically you know computational design or just um design technology um so i joined um titi core studio uh in 2016 and moved to new york where i lived for 2 years and kind of started out as a um kind of developer slash um computational designer uh, just helping out in projects, maybe like fifty percent. I think it was in the beginning, and then developing tools for the other fifty percent. But I quite quickly like got into full full time development. Uh, probably after like half a year or so, and um, yeah, it's 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 great. I think it's just a really fascinating um, you know thing to do. Just like being surrounded by all these smart people working on really interesting projects, and just be there and help out, um, automating tools. And as you kind of mentioned earlier, like Core Studio is um, made up of really two parts. We have the application development team, and then we have the core modeling team. And what usually happens is that the core modeling team they work with, um, you know, project teams on, on on projects that are you know, complicated or geometrically complex. Mm-hmm. And um, when they have seen a pattern in enough projects, like they come to us and we talk about generalizing uh, the, the solution. So that's typically how it works, like just having mm. that kind of um, um, you know, back and forth dialogue between the modeling and application development and obviously the whole company is, is, is quite key
0: for what we do. This episode is made possible in collaboration with ArcVision. Are you planning on getting software before the year ends? Maybe you need to use your budget in 2023 or want to upgrade to something new like the just released Rhino version 8. Rhino 8 introduces amazing new tools for architectural design. One standout feature is the push-pull tools, which are incredibly powerful and even work on curved surfaces. The new inset command and auto seaplane tools enhance the architectural modeling experience. There are also new features like auto-updating clipping section drawings, shrink wrap, which is amazing for 3D printing, and new display types, including a fast and beautiful built-in render engine. Rhino also now supports new grasshopper data types. And bonus, upgrades from any older version of Rhino are currently 33% off for a limited time. By purchasing anything at arcvision.com store and using the code TRXL at checkout, you can not only support Droxel, but you'll also get 5% off your order. ArcVision is an authorized reseller of Rhino, SketchUp, Enscape, V-Ray, and more. So whether you're a student, an individual practitioner, or part of a firm with multiple licenses, if you're looking to buy architectural software before the end of 2023, visit arcvision.com store and use code TRXL at checkout and save 5% off your order. The link will also be in the show notes. My thanks to ArcVision for collaborating with the Troxel Podcast. And now let's get back to the conversation. Going back to your school, the, the idea of a like an integrated structural engineering and architectural program is really interesting to me because the problem set or maybe the nature of the mind that when it goes after these problems, those are two very different ways of solving problems, right? Like the idea of design being a very wicked problem, unknown unknowns, discovery process, trying to synthesize a multitude of inputs into a solution. Nobody knows what that path is going to be. And as we all experienced in school and studio, we experienced a different solution from every single person, even though it was the same scope of project, right? Engineering though is is very different right it's it's kind of reverse engineering that final into like what it actually takes to hold that thing up i think that that's that's very interesting from a from a like both sides of the brain uh problem set i mean i haven't actually heard of that at least in the u.s of most people go to architecture school or right. they go to engineering school is that really what attracted you or did you just not know which one you preferred and you kind of figured it out along the way? Like, like, where did that come from in you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good question. I mean, I think I've always been interested in, um, design and art obviously, and, and, um, just mathematics and physics and all Mm -hmm. that stuff. I I don't Mm -hmm. think I was particularly interested in buildings, to be honest, when I when I actually um I started studying architecture engineering so uh yeah maybe maybe you're right maybe it was kind of an open ended answer to an open ended question there like you know I, I can postpone my decision a bit more but um yeah
0: yeah, yeah interesting that that whole world has got to be I the, the idea of going to architecture school and doing really wild designs because you can, right? Because everybody's <laughs> a designer. And then having to have this kind of accountability partner of the structural <laughs> side yeah. of things, or was that what projects were like? It was, you. they were much more grounded in that sense?
1: Um, yes and no. I mean, you know, we did a lot of projects that just require some amount of, you know, structural mechanics um, understanding. Like if you design a bridge, mm. for instance, like it's just part of the design, like how is it actually going to work? you know yeah. think of a suspension bridge for instance like there there is um there is a meaning and there is a um an idea of the structural concept so um I think that was really part of the the sketch process right like you know you you, you almost like sketch um you know force diagrams and sketch arrows, and like you know how are we gonna support this load et cetera so it's uh, I kind of agree that it's obviously um. Different professions with completely like different backgrounds, but um, I kind of like the idea that um, yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean that it's completely different in terms of, sure. uh, you know, procedure, etc. Uh, so, um, but no, for sure. I mean, I think I had one project just uh, came to mind now. There was a bridge project, and I designed a um, sine wave bridge, and it was just like sine waves all over the place. I think I just started to learn grasshopper and like went all in for it. And I think I even went as far as deciding the staircase as a sine wave. And um, like the, the teacher told me like, people are gonna die in this staircase. You can't do that like <laughs> so maybe it was clear from that point that i i wasn't gonna be a good architect anyway but
0: <laughs> yeah. your, no i guess yeah I was, I, no exactly i
1: was just interested in you know tooling and and i guess the process yeah. really um so yeah. yeah
0: there's definitely something really attractive about that visual programming process and watching the math turn into geometry and yeah. i think a lot of times people go into learning a tool like that because they're interested in parametric control over geometry and updating things and 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 playing with things in that sense. Yeah. Using using that programming tool like you said earlier, like you, you talked about sketching with math, right? Like this idea of sketching through visual programming, I think is a totally valid concept and a lot of people do that but they don't necessarily think about it as math, right? They think right. about it as geometric, like how you're gonna see that geometry in the end and, and being exactly. able to control that. Yeah. But the idea of looking at it like a function, looking at it right, yeah. because that's kind of that's what it is. It's like first this, then this, then this, and it's it's constantly rippling through until you see the output. And if you go back and change something, you see the update. But thinking about that mathematically, I think is really interesting and, and people who get into Grasshopper start to think like that. And it yeah. it definitely that the tool reinforces that. And coming when I went to school there was no there was no virtual visual programming. There was no uh, it was all just hard modeling, right? It was all polygon modeling, solid yeah. modeling, some surface modeling. But it was purely geometry, right? Yeah. Geometry was my favorite math class. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> like understanding those concepts exactly. and and it was very visual, I think. It's definitely a different piece of the mind that operates in that grasshopper space. And I think for me, when I got into that, eventually, very late, way later than what you're even talking about when you were in school, it was just very much, it was like stretching a new muscle. And I found that really intriguing because it was just something that I hadn't experienced before. uh, And it was a new way of searching for design solutions. And obviously, there's a lot of power there, right? To be able to make a small change and watch it ripple throughout is incredibly yeah. empowering. As totally. somebody who did not learn how to code, did not learn how, and like, and 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 it just made it, it democratized the ability for me and many others to code in quotes, right? Because I didn't. Yeah. It is coding, but at the same time, it, it doesn't feel like coding, right? So uh, it, it's really interesting to to think about all that and how it's kind of changed the pursuit of architecture uh, yeah. over the years, and and uh, it's kind of an incredible thing to kind of extract out and look at that just that piece of it and what David Rutten was was able to accomplish with it. Totally, like yeah, for
1: sure, yeah. yeah.
0: the The idea of of let's get back to to Core Studio and Thornton Tomasetti. So you. You were in New York, you said, and and is that really where you were introduced to Thornton Tomasetti and what you're doing?
1: Yes, um, yes, and no. I guess you know, I, I I was certainly interested in the idea of um, you know competition of design and programming and technology within the AEC industry um, before that, but um, yeah, I mean, Thornton Tomasetti Core Studio was obviously my my first real job in a way right okay. so um i uh, i got to see how things worked in practice for real and obviously have um learned a lot from just you know being there and working with all these great people so um yeah it was it was an eye opener in
0: many many ways and still
1: is so so yeah
0: And and when you were looking for that first job obviously you have interest in computational design and problem solving. Were you specifically looking for a place to land that that was a core piece of how they did what they did? Or what was that decision like for you? Was Was it based on that or not?
1: I mean, I think, um, yeah, obviously, like having the um, having the, the opportunity to work with processes, I think was a was a key component in this. Um, and um, I mean, core studio is really just research and kind of developing tools for for the practice, right? So um, mm. I kind of was interested in pursuing um, a career in academia um, early on as well. But at the same time, it's just a pretty awesome thing to just be around real projects solving real yeah. problems. So I think right. I think that was certainly something that I that I was uh, interested in. And um, I mean, I heard about uh, Core Studio for for um, uh, yeah long before I joined, so um, it was kind of a known known um, uh, figure in the industry, obviously. And then I had a friend who had um, done an internship a year prior, so she kind of connected me. And
0: uh, yeah, um, I was lucky to to get involved. I, I'm thinking back to the first time that I think that I heard about Core Studio, which I, I again would probably not be early days for Core Studio at all, but just my awareness of it uh, was when, and I mentioned this to you a minute ago, but Daniel Seagraves was presenting Mm. at a USC bimbop many years ago, probably around 2016 or so, Uh, and he was talking about Asterisk as one of your new tools in development, and it was kind of a preview of, of the kinds of projects that you were working on, and that was the first time that I think I ever was introduced to the idea of a practice structural engineering practice, let alone architectural practice or whatever, product, starting to productize or thinking about an internal tool being used outside of their practice. And I thought that was fascinating. And it was all done through the web. And I think there was maybe some grasshopper components that went along with it to connect those things together. And that to me was was kind of eye-opening at that point. And that to me showed the seriousness of Core Studio really... Being this thing inside of a larger practice, because it really, when it's all tied to projects, when when the the core functionality of a thing like that inside, it, if you think about it as this group of people and they're just supporting projects, the projects rule everything, right? So to there it seemed to me like there had to be, and I didn't get to ask him this, but there has to be this layer of, I don't know, isolation, not isolation, but 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 separation from the projects and and you guys said you kind of do two things you you support the practice but you also work on these products and you, and you even work on the pro- products first and they're they're mm-hmm. driven out of the yeah. needs and the, the patterns that are being yeah. seen by the practice can you talk about that because your group is not it's not huge but it's I mean you're you're kind of standalone right like I don't you have how many people are in your it's in your group
1: 20 plus. I was gonna um, say twenty, yeah, yeah, something like that. Okay, so no, for sure. I mean, that's that's always the the dream, right? Like you you work on tools, and you can build it to a project, and you know, client pays for the the development, and everyone is happy. But yeah, it doesn't really work that way uh, because you know, projects have deadlines and they have priorities, right. and you know. Uh, so I think I think that's an important aspect. Like if you actually want to get serious with, um. You know tool development it yeah sort of has to be outside of the the project work um as you said like obviously you can still be informed and it can be very much uh, a nice accelerator just like testing out the tools and kind of getting feedback and um yeah. you know push the development forward but um developing you have a built-in
0: built-in beta audience right right now <laughs> yeah, pretty much pretty much have that pool
1: yeah no for sure and i, I would also separate between you know, scripting and tool development. Those mm-hmm, are two different mm-hmm, things, like mm-hmm. using using computational um, design tools to um, accelerate projects. I mean, it's kind of a way of modeling, I would say. Yeah. But if you actually want to go into developing robust tools, you know, it's going to need documentation. It's going to need testing. It's going to need, like, all these things that just get very hard to do within the the scope of a project. Um, so. So yeah, I mean, I think yeah, we're very lucky to have that environment in in uh, Thornton Thomas uh, Thornton Thomas City, and just being able to um, work on these projects uh, and uh, and tools.
0: It just seems very prescient, I guess. I don't know the right word, but the idea of TT investing in this yeah. smaller entity within the larger firm. Obviously, like you said, you get to. It's, it's a great place to be because you have the resources of this very large firm and you have this layer of separation in that, I, I would assume, like the, the leadership of core studio making decisions about products, about which direction to go. uh, And and then also like TT gets to brag about core studio, right? Like it's this really cool thing that they do, that they are pushing they're constantly on the bleeding edge of, of yeah. what they're doing and that positions TT yeah. in a different segment of the market. I mean, there's there's other firms doing similar things, right? But but this to me was kind of like, again, the first time I had seen that. And, yeah. and so like the idea of having an innovation incubator inside yeah. of a firm that operates semi-independently under the umbrella of TT and having that uh, I mean, it's a it's a useful relationship in both directions. Obviously, uh, that that to me is just something that more people need to think about, right? Because yeah. when when you're when you have a team in house, like you said earlier, that just support that does scripting, that just supports prod projects, and are constantly helping those teams hit their deadlines or or whatever that is a very different thing than product development. Yes. Right. And and it takes a different approach. It takes a different skill set. There's and so I guess what I'm saying is like you can't you can't decide to do it like you guys have done it and and have it fully integrated. And because it's just that would just be something entirely different. A lot of firms are doing that, in fact. Right. And, And but but this is this is unique. <laughs> than what most fee- most most firms do, and I don't I don't really know where I'm going with that, but I just I, observe observations things no, that totally. I've been thinking about as as I've watched TT and Core Studio kind of the way that you guys talk about the the work that you do outwardly is is yeah. really interesting.
1: No, for sure. I mean, as you said, like I think Core Studio plays an important role in the you know presentation of of, of TT as well as you mentioned. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, just being able to show, um, you know, all the tools that we develop and all the, um, you know, routines and, and automation scripts and everything like that. Um, like our partners get access to, if they work with us is a pretty strong motivation and, you know, pretty good sales pitch. So, so for sure, I mean, it's, um, yeah, yeah, core Studio is, is, um, is, uh, has a good presence on, on the company slides, so to speak, like, yeah, it's, uh. Got to think about the presentation for sure.
0: Talk about some of the products that you have developed. So I know about Constru and mm-hmm. Asterisk, and I'm, I'm sure there are others, but those are the ones that kind of popped to my mind immediately. Can you just talk about the types of things that you are productizing and putting out and making available to others to use, and 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 why you've decided to, to make those tools available? I mean, obviously, there's an advantage to you guys where if you are working on a project with an architectural firm say and they're using those tools to talk to you but but beyond that i mean i i kind of assume there's also this this ability for people to just use that tool and you you're just applying Mm. you build the tool people push something in they get something back out they can use it i mean talk about about that because that to me is very different than a traditional consultant relationship on a larger design team
1: No, for sure. I mean, I think, um, don't quote me on it, but I think the first public tool we made was the um, Tita Toolbox plugin for Grasshopper. Right. uh, Which is, yeah, I don't know how many thousands thousands of downloads it has, but quite a lot. And that's really just like a good mix of different, you know, Grasshopper um, components that we thought were good to have, really. Um mm. so I don't know when that was released, probably back in like 2013 or 14, maybe. I'll
0: have to look that up on Food for Rhino. I'm there's there's probably a history of, of that. Yeah, right? for sure.
1: We we actually made a new release like a year ago, something like that. Um, um yeah, just updating some 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 good good stuff, just throwing some 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 more goodies there. Um but I think yeah, um you know, there is certainly um kind of a marketing component to this. Right, like you um, deploy these tools for free, mm-hmm. like people mm-hmm. get to use it. Uh, maybe that was actually how I actually got familiar with um, mm. TT and Core Studio in the first place. Actually, thinking about it, uh, so that makes sense. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's 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 one aspect. Just like getting getting the tools out there, getting people to use them. You know, kind of build up that community. I guess um, the AC Tech Conference. Is probably something we can chat about later as well but it's it's very much about just like building up that community and you know um getting partners and 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 um uh get to know people in the industry obviously and um yeah after that i think Construe was probably the second product that we launched outside of um um TT. i mean from the core studio perspective uh, there is another um component of of tt that do more kind of scientific tooling and they they have a pretty strong background in this this kind of tool development. Um, but from the Core Studio side, um, I would say Construe, which is really just the interoperability platform. Uh, and that was also it's it's it existed in a different format uh in the beginning. It was way more kind of desktop based. Like you would mm. save your, you know, geometry database into a file. You could send this file around or place it on a uh, network drive somewhere. Um, and then back in 2015-ish, um, we started to build a cloud solution for it. And, um, yeah, I mean, as, as we've talked about, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a good opportunity to really test out the, the tools and ideas and, um, you know, prototyping internally and then kind of test the waters, um, outside of the company. Um, so, but yeah, since then, I mean, yeah, asterisk, as we, as we talked about, it's, um, uh, it's, um, um uh, really structural option tool, like the idea is mm-hmm. as, as, um, you as an architect, or, you know, if you're in a project, early stage projects, like from a massing, uh, mm-hmm. can you generate a structural wireframing such that you can make some early guesses about, you know, how much is this going to cost? Like what's going to be the embodied carbon? Uh, all these like early decisions um, about the building system. Um, so um, yeah, I was involved in that project uh, mainly on the geometry side. Like, given this massing geometry, um, how do we actually generate a structural wireframing that we can use for different um, for different things? Um, so I think that was probably the first time that I really started to work with the um, the Rhino Common uh, Rhino API. Mm. which is a uh, um, fantastic API. It just has the perfect level of um, abstraction for me as a, a, you know, computational person, really, just like understanding, you know, uh, not having to, um, you know, revisit mathematics from from some engineering class, but just like, okay, I have this plane, I want to intersect it with this mesh, like, how do I do it? Um, yeah. So, yeah, we really built the whole um, geometry engine using Rhino Common. And this was pre Rhino Compute, which um, I think was released back in 2018 or something like that. Yeah, so we that had a pretty it. interesting ad hoc solution to actually being able to put that on a server, because that was the right. idea. Like you had a, the the web application, and you would, you know, provide your your um, uh, inputs of the massing, and um, then you can you know toggle different inputs and really see, um, you know, a, a visualization of the the structural model, but also you know some um quantitative outputs like you know um what's the tonnage um yeah how right. much how much it's going to cost etc
0: i remember that and when you said optioneering it made me think about how you're doing optioneering and it was like you, you could choose different structural types right i mean it, as an example it, was, it wasn't like you were spitting out a thousand generative steel structures for that mass it was like you, you had a, a few different types to choose from and then like you said you yeah. you start to quantify it and you also start you could put numbers to it that yeah for cost or things like that to give you the whole idea of this tool was to get to inform a designer yes. at least give them something to base a conversation on when they're exactly. talking about how they how they're going to make decisions to move forward so yeah. which which structural system and why the earlier I can get that information plugged into my mass, which is yeah. just super basic, actual yeah. blobby mass, right? And, and start to see what that structure could look like inside of there uh, is, I think, was was incredible. It's, it's just, it, it gives a designer superpowers because they know more than any other architect would about, about that, right? Because if they're using a tool like that, they just have more information to work with Not earlier, exactly. which helps them make better decisions.
1: No, for sure. Exactly. I, th- I think I think that's right. It's really about like what's what's the information and how much do you get at, cer- at a certain stage in a project, and you know it's it's always hard. Like how much control do you actually provide here? Uh, so that was something that we yeah. um, thought about a lot. Like, you know, is it enough just providing some distance for the um, um, you know base sizes here, or should we? Yeah really allow the user to provide grid lines um and um you know to what level of detail do we specify the structural framing like should we separate between the floors and the columns and the you know um yeah beam systems like yeah there are just tons of different options there and and it's it's um you know some somewhere you got to make a decision like okay we we, will support this but we'll wait this until someone asks for it
0: this episode is made possible with support from avail In a world where precision meets creativity, where every line drawn holds the power to innovate, people like you are shaping the future. But let's face it, in the realm of design, the unknown is your least favorite companion. You've been stranded on the island of inefficient software, lost in the fog of endless searching for the right content. It's time to embark on a new journey, a journey to clarity, efficiency, and design excellence. It's time to get off that island and away from the unknown. Introducing Avail, the beacon in your design odyssey. Say goodbye to the daunting 10 to 20 minutes wasted per search, the costly interruptions in your creative flow. With Avail, your team will zip through content discovery, focusing more on designing and less on searching. Imagine a world where you can stop constantly fighting the costly fires caused by pulling content from past projects, building from scratch, or relying on personal libraries. Avail isn't just a tool. It's a revolution for AECO firms. Organize, manage, and navigate your project information with a leader that's proven in reliability, relatability, and success. Join the ranks of the top AECO firms who've already chosen Avail. In just 30 days, you could deploy Avail and witness a dramatic reduction in costly design errors. Whether it's your first CMS or you're considering a switch, there's someone you should meet. Will Rouse, your guide to all things Avail. Schedule an appointment and explore Avail's capabilities, onboarding programs, and professional services. Don't let your designs be clouded by inefficiency. Clear skies are just a click away. Go to getavail.com slash stranded and book a meeting with Will to start your Avail journey today. Avail, where your best design is just a search away. My thanks to Avail for supporting this episode of the Troxel podcast. And now let's get back to the conversation. Kind of sky's the limit when it comes to development until it until you actually have to have people do it, right? So I'm yeah. sure the ideas were plentiful, but what you actually decided to ship in those first iterations of that product had to be scaled back to kind of like the yeah, the least, right? It had to be to what is the how can this add value, but also yeah. like let again, let let's go through this iterative process of yeah. deploying a tool over time. This We're going to play the long game with a tool like this. We're not going to try to cram it all into a version one release and then see what people think about it. So did you get a lot of feedback from firms about the kinds of things that would be more useful to them over time? or And, and these things were already on your list and you're like, yep, yep, that's potentially on the roadmap? <laughs> or, or, or were you actually hearing new ideas that you guys had never thought of?
1: No, for sure. We, we heard... Um... We heard a lot of interesting ideas as as early feedback but also you know going back to the discussion about like how much control do you actually provide i think we made some pretty crude uh, assumptions about grid lines like you know um our idea was like okay we're probably gonna be better at guessing um i mean grid lines is a big thing in structural engineering like you essentially have a yep. massing right and then you know you, you 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 place grid lines and in those intersections you place columns and then you kind of work work from the system upwards um and yeah that was one of the things that we kind of assumed that we would know better than the user which turned out to be kind of wrong i would say mm-hmm.
0: uh,
1: so then we started to experimenting with, with <laughs> i'm other... just laughing because i
0: <laughs> i remember moving grid lines like an, an inch. <laughs> yeah. Or to, yeah. right all the time, and, exactly. and the engineer would be pissed, right? But it was always <laughs> yeah. like, "Well, here's why," and and yeah. and you you talk through it, and okay, everybody's okay. Yep, you're, we should do that, or we shouldn't do that. Here's why. But but to your point, like, can it's not an easy thing to just guess where those.
1: No, exactly, and you know, it's it's always like, um, I mean, sometimes if you have. Um, Buildings that aren't completely extruded, you're going to end up with some additional uh, grid mm. lines that are not mm-hmm. present on the you know, ground floor. So right. it got just more and more complicated until we decided yeah, to actually, I hey, bet. maybe we actually need some kind of editing functionality of the grid lines there. Um, so, uh, but we do actually have a Rhino plugin for um, Asterisk as well, which kind of allows you to. You know, edit the 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 massing instead of Rhino and sort of have the system you know computes uh, computed really uh, real time. So. Um,
0: so that's computing uh, it locally on on the user's machine.
1: No, it's not. Okay. So that was a that was a um, decision we made to kind of keep the geometry engine uh, remote, because uh, idea was like, okay, you, you use Rhino and the modeling tools in Rhino to kind of author your massing, right, mm-hmm. and then you can essentially upload it uh, to the system um, and um, you could still like have Rhino running and edit it we even had like a live sculpt mode which would kind of react to um, everything you made in Rhino like all the changes to the to the massing um, but the idea was to kind of still have the ability to make it available without Rhino so to speak mm, okay. um, so uh, so yeah and then of course like just being able to kind of see all the different um, uh, configurations in some diagram, which was obviously inspired by um, a hackathon project we, um I think was developed in an ASC Tech probably 2015 or something like that called um, Design something. Yeah, um, Design Explorer. That's it. Uh, mm-hmm. So really, this kind of parallel diagram of like you know different um, permutations of parameters just like visualized in a, right. a intuitive fashion, uh, which nice. actually took off and became another product that we've worked on called Thread, which right. is really about kind of um, exploring data and uh, yeah BIM data and structural data and um, yeah different data associated with geometry really. Um, so that's a big thing also in structural engineering. Like you have this um you know base model like some base geometry and then if you run structural analysis on it it's going to have a lot of metadata about yeah engineering performance and that can be a lot like a lot of data gigabytes of data sometimes mm. and that can be quite hard to um get an overview of or just like understand the data uh so uh, i would say big parts of what we do has to do with um just visualizing data in a meaningful way. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about naming for a second. So this is not a a meaty part of the conversation, but uh, I think TT Toolbox was probably one of the default kind of packages that everybody downloaded at some point, right? There's like Lunchbox, TT Toolbox, Human (laughs) UI. There's a few of them, right? And um, totally an engineer's name. Like You guys didn't even come up with a good (laughs) animal (laughs) <laughs> yeah, not exactly. <laughs> to, to name it. <laughs> I mean, that good branding for, for Thornton Tomasetti, but uh, but not in line with, with all the other uh, animal names. So well, you get one <laughs> demerit for that. But then the idea of asterisk, where, where's the name for asterisk come from? Do you know?
1: Yeah, I know exactly where it's coming from. It was like, um, you know, we had some early prototypes and we just talked about how do we deal with um, potentially solutions that aren't good uh, and uh, Rob my boss at uh, Thorn Thomas City where uh, i studio he he proposed like, hey, maybe we should just put an asterisk under the whole thing just saying like hey, you know be careful so
0: that's where it disclaimer came from. it's yeah, a disclaimer it's a disclaimer that's great that, I kind of wondered if the, if that's what it was because yeah, yeah it's like yeah, it's take take exactly this with it. a grain of salt kind of pretty much pretty much <laughs> we can't be held liable I think that's that's an interesting idea about kind of governance of of this solution right which is like use this at your own risk because these conversations have come up over the years which is like well well, what if we make a tool and then somebody makes a decision based on that tool that leads to a bad outcome who's liable for that right and so then yeah you do have to have the legalese attached to every single thing that you put out into the world in this realm which is like uh, you know, use this at your own risk. There's no guarantees. All of these things that you read in the, yeah. <laughs> the license agreements, right? Exactly. Um, exactly. Is that something? I mean, with that, I assume that was a major conversation piece as you guys went into this.
1: Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And I think, you know, always when you work on tools like design tools that are, um, I mean, the whole idea is to use it in early stages, right? So there is mm-hmm. always like a pretty low resolution of inputs coming in, like a massing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's just like you gotta be careful about that, really. Like you know, low resolution right. in, kind of roll low resolution out. So I think our you know idea of just naming it asterisk was really that, like okay,
0: there is gonna be low resolution here. Yeah. But probably so hopefully, much so that you named your product, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: but hopefully enough to to make those early decisions, you know, should we go for timber? Should we like have a right. composite beam system here? Should we like go with this um, foundation system, et cetera? Just like this, um, you know, high level questions.
0: Helping people make those decisions earlier. Yeah. Right. I, and, and now we live in a world where, I mean, the AI stuff is, is a headline yeah. A few days a week. Right. And talking about this idea of hallucinations. Right. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> asterisk could be hallucinating as well. We didn't call it that back <laughs> right. then. Right. Yeah. But that that's the idea is like we don't know every bit of context about your projects. We don't we we only know what you gave us. And from there, we had to dissect that mathematically to turn it into bays, into a structural system, yeah. to size beams. I don't know if there's location data included in there or not to kind of give, you know, different regions have different codes and i mean there's a there's a mess of, of a aec world out there when it comes to all of that stuff and so yeah. being able to custom tailor a solution is definitely a very different process than what you're yeah. offering here in the beginning but it can help people make those decisions early yeah. and uh, those could be hallucinations right like, <laughs> and, and and we hear we sure. hear disclaimers all the time now it's like double check double check double check all of this because what it's spitting out may not be yeah. even true right yeah. uh, okay I guess that's something that the onus is on us as users, to constantly be reminding ourselves to do that.
1: Totally, no, for sure. And actually, um, funny enough, you know, um, there is an, a machine learning component to asterisk uh, on a uh, component level. So we have a big library called core structure, which is really um, just tons of. Um, you know, engineering equations and design, um, like structural engineering uh, design routines uh, that has been developed for, yeah, many years. And, you know, the idea is really that, like it's kind of the the um, the entire mind of TT kind of in this code yeah. base in a way. And encapsulated, um, right? Encapsulated in the code base, exactly. And, and cool. um, yeah, and it works well, um, but I mean, if you're designing Thousands of beams and thousands of columns. Like there is a performance aspect to it, and you know, if if you um, if you're developing these like early stage rapid prototyping tools, you know, it's um, it has to be performance, and um, yeah, just having that playfulness is extremely important. And that's that was something that we realized. You don't want to you know press a button and then you know wait for an hour to get some results. So that was one mm-hmm. of the motives to actually look into um, uh, just machine learning. Like, hey, we have these equations. Can we just like throw in a bunch of inputs here, get some outputs out, and then train a model to essentially learn how to size beams and columns? Um, and um, yeah, so when you do that, you get results within you know a millisecond or something. So. Wow. Um, so that's um that was something that we actually started out doing like back in 2016 17 as well. So um yeah, we we've been on the machine learning track for for quite some time. Obviously now it's really started to take off the whole AI mm. discussion as well and uh, we had some ideas of, of how to you know start implementing some of that in in the um, wireframing logic as well like the structural wireframing logic but um, never really got there but um yeah, I mean it's it's a super interesting um, mm-hmm. um, you know side of our industry to to observe these days. I think just like the whole um, yeah discussion about the yeah. AI and how how things will change and you know.
0: I'm sure. So so let's use this as a segue into AEC tech and hackathons and, and things like that because getting outside of your walls again, this is something that's important. I I assume for you guys uh, to infuse like not only expose that culture to others who are not part of core studio in and, and TT. Like, there's, it's, th- this is kind of like an academic tie-in, right? It's like, <laughs> this is like being in a design studio, right? It's like, let's do this really intensive project-based, you define the project, but then you 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 assemble a team, you you go after doing something. And But I'm sure that like, the way that those dots get connected and the way those neurons fire in that environment is just invigorating for <laughs> for you and I'm sure that that you at Core Studio get a lot of value out of putting those events on and you're also contributing and participating in those events at the kind of user level as well on teams right you guys had a, a recent project Rhino anywhere right so I let's let's just chat about this this general area from the high level all the way to working on a team and producing a, a a new idea and 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 putting a kind of proof of concept together and putting it out there. Let's start at the high level from a value proposition of putting on hackathons, the whole AEC Tech thing. Give us yeah. an overview of kind of where where you stand in in that whole thing.
1: No, for sure. I mean, we've been running the AEC Tech event for more than a decade now, actually, wow. yeah. and um, it's really composed of. Um, I guess three things like first of all you have the workshops is you know where we essentially invite people to teach things I mean it mm-hmm. usually have some folks from from um, McNeil you know uh the folks from later tools usually there, Hypar has been there um and um it's just a fantastic opportunity to get this um really innovative people uh just like showcasing their stuff and like just showing, hey, this is a tool that we've been working on or a feature that we've been working on. Um, and um, yeah, just get that kind of one-to-one connection with the, the actual mm-hmm. author of the tool is just amazing. Uh, so that's one component. Then we have like virtual versions of that as well. Um, obviously something that got you know more and more important during the, the COVID times, and we've kind of stuck with that since then. Um, and then we have the symposium, which is the... Um, yeah, just like keynote speakers, we invite, you know, interesting people Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they present their stuff. Um, And um, finally, which is obviously my favorite portion, is the hackathon uh, where, uh, you know, people get together. um, So it starts out with the lightning rounds. So it's usually around, you know, 10 in the morning, something like that. You get a cup of coffee and uh, the pitches start. so you, if you have an idea, I mean, there is a microphone. That's why it's called the, the lightning rounds. Like you just present maybe one two minutes, just present an idea. Uh, and um, if either if you have something yourself you want to present, you can do that, or just like sit back, listen into other people's ideas. Um, and then there is the group formation um, process where you know people just like yeah, meet and greet kind of and and get together and um, start talking about. Uh, you know, the hack projects, and then you have 24 hours to actually produce something out of it. And yeah, it's just a fantastic format to get things done in a way, because uh, there really isn't that much time to, you know, reflect on different trajectories. or so like, you know, should we do X or Y? It's, it's got to be pretty fast. And that's, uh, I think that's a fascinating... Mm-hmm. um aspect of an industry that's otherwise quite slow right and thinking about like how 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 long it takes to to build buildings and design buildings um uh so yeah I mean it's it's you know we, we hosted yearly in in New York and um um yeah we kind of built up a pretty good community around it now so we have a slack channel you know where people can com- uh, can communicate throughout the year and um yeah, it's 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 just fun. Like there are a lot of new people showing up every year, and there are a good group of like core people that always like show up, and and it's actually growing pretty good for for, um, for every year now. And I think we had like was it sixteen uh, hackathon projects um, yeah, yeah. presented last time now, uh, and I think it was even thirty plus um, presentations in the uh, lightning rounds and. Yeah, it's 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 kind of picking up speed, and it's it's all about like building that community and kind of you know discuss problems we have, um, you know, within the companies. Like, how uh, can we get together and solve it, and you know, learn from each other and so forth. So it's 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 a fantastic event, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm really glad we have all those three components because they really get together pretty pretty well.
0: It's interesting to think about how it I, over a decade it's probably shifted quite a bit from workflows to product. that that is potential right these are put 16 potential products could come out of a hackathon versus a decade ago it was like how do i get this stuff from here to there (laughs) right No, for sure and and i i think that that's that's pretty fascinating because of startup culture venture capital um just everything's a pitch deck nowadays and people have ideas you know there's no end to them so i think that's really interesting and I wonder like people who go into this, they've been incubating, I assume, these ideas maybe for a little while at least, and they're presenting them like they're they're probably less on the fly inspiration from that conference, but it's like somebody's had this idea, they've been kicking around in their head for a while. I'm gonna say it out loud <laughs> and see who else here is yeah. interested. And then I also wonder if there's some because I haven't been to this event, is there positioning of in this presentation? Because you kinda suss out the different pieces teammates skills that they bring to the table and is there kind of like this this you, I, I, I really need you on my team because you're the you're the <laughs> webGL yeah. guy or whatever yeah. is that is that, is all that happening as well um, kind of behind uh, the scenes
1: informally yes i would say but there is no list of competencies that a specific hackathon project uh, yeah. needs or anything like that. It's, it's more organic, yeah. I would say. And sometimes you get, a you get up there, you pitch and then you start talking with some people and then this idea, uh, turns into something completely different, like it's, yes. uh, you know, it's, it's, it's quite fascinating. Just like having that sort of platform to, you know, you, you plant a seed and then it becomes something completely different from what you thought initially. And actually, you know, I, I think, I think there is a good mix of people. You know, thinking about problems like being really prepared for this hackathon, and other people that are just like, "Hey, okay, maybe just come up with something like one minute before the lightning round." So um, that was actually the case for um, the Rhino Anywhere project that I was involved in uh, hacking on, which is really kind of a um, yeah, kind of a web client for three D uh, modeling using Rhino uh, using um, stream uh, pixel streaming uh, technology okay. uh, and um yeah myself and my colleague sergey we kind of discussed uh, different ways to get um um like rhino more interactive we were thinking about hooking up galapagos the um, generic uh, genetic solver with um like rhino compute and uh Resthopper, which was actually another hackathon project um a few years ago uh, but then, yeah, we started talk about, like, hey, could we actually build something using pixel streaming instead that would actually, you know, just, like, stream the viewport to to a browser. And, uh, yeah, that was sort of an idea that just came up, like, a few minutes before the, the pitches. So, yeah, I think it's a good mix of, um, you know, people having actual problems that they have encountered in their daily, um, you know, um, daily work. Um, they actually really want to solve. And then, you know, some people that just want to, like, mess around with some new technologies or like think about different ways of doing things and, and such.
0: There's been some incredible projects, and obviously we don't have time to go through them all, but as some, maybe, maybe a couple of examples, but I want you to land on Rhino Anywhere because it's, I'm sure it's, like, it's still right there in the forefront of your mind, and, and maybe it even has some legs to go somewhere. Um, give, give some examples of the kinds of projects that have come out of AEC tech hackathons.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's interesting because you always see a theme for every year. You know, mm-hmm. I think back in like sixteen, seventeen, it was all about like interoperability. Like, hey, can I turn this Revit model mm-hmm. into, you know, this Tecla model or, um, you know, whatever. Um, and then there was another year where it was like, okay, I have this three D geometry. Now I want to visualize it in a browser. Can we do that? Um, uh, we have one year. I think it was probably when the uh Rhino compute and Rhino inside stuff was released and everyone just put rhino inside of other processes and was like everything. rhino inside yeah. Yeah. <laughs> rhino inside everything. Uh can you guess what the theme for, for this year was?
0: No, not at all. I can't guess the two letters that this one was about.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no idea, no idea. Never yeah. Nope.
0: <laughs> nope, not, not no. going to go for it. Not, I'm not taking your bait right there.
1: <laughs> no, for sure. But yeah, there were a lot of interesting like chat um, yeah. uh versions. Like someone built a really uh, cool um, Clippy. Do you remember Clippy from, from yeah, the old of course. Windows? Yeah, So it looks
0: like you're trying to write a business letter, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So someone made a Clippy for Reddit uh, and that was quite interesting to to see. It was pretty... Pretty impressive. Like you, you typed in. So let's say you have a Revit model open up uh, and you say, hey, you know, delete the beams on the top floor or something like that. So what the system would do, it would pick up the prompt, it would generate some code using the Revit API, compile it, and then execute it essentially. Wow. wow. So, um,
0: sounds really dangerous. <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely. That that that, sh- that should have been called asterisk, probably.
0: You mean you mean anyone can go into my model and delete <laughs> yeah. stuff at, at in, in mass. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, for sure. That was kind of part of the presentation as well. Like you know, major major warning. Like this is gonna mess your uh, Revit model up. Like,
0: <laughs> right. You might want yeah. to back up first. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know for sure. <laughs> That's cool. I that the whole yeah. I mean, my my I, my not taking the bait uh, to say it was about AI was uh, you know. Th- <laughs> I hope hope that landed. But the the idea of of Chat gpt as a really good interface. I mean, the idea of text prompting to do things does democratize tools to a certain extent. That that is absolutely incredible, right? To to give anybody the ability—I mean, whether it's successful or not—to be able to type something in in natural language versus find a tool, learn how to use it, apply—like it. those are two different worlds—and to make it easier for people to make architecture, make structural models, do all those things, I think is—I mean, there's definitely something there there.
1: No, for sure. I am also super interested in that. Um... And um, I mean, as I said, like it, it's—you um, can even apply it on, you know, software development. Like you're you're getting into some new library or like some new—I don't know—SDK that you know nothing about.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like it's, the Matrix, right? This is when Neo yeah. says, "I I know kung fu." All of a sudden, <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's it's kind of like that. I mean, it's our our ignorance is has, is. Has... Us putting those projects off, learning those things is, is now maybe turned into an advantage because I don't have to learn those things. I think okay. that's really, that is really interesting. And with great power comes great responsibility, yeah. right? If, if you literally can type delete the structure from the top floor, like that's, you're giving somebody great power and also great responsibility. When when all these projects have so many stakeholders, so many yeah. team People working in the models at the same time, and it's like you did what, right? It's no longer <laughs> just like I need you to sync to central. It's like I need you to run all your prompts by me first, kind of a thing.
1: <laughs> yeah. no, for sure, absolutely. It's uh, yeah, no, it, it's really fascinating. I mean, I think especially with um, I'm really interested in the combination of you know parametric design and kind of natural language. I mean, the idea of kind of having some sort of configurator or um, parametric model and using a prompt it's all about like getting the GPTs to create that glue code, right? Like you have the natural language mm-hmm. here, you have the mm-hmm. configurator or some system here, mm-hmm. like can the GPT figure out the glue between? Um, and um, yeah, that's fascinating because then you can, yeah, get the GPT to to write um, Revit um, code or like code using the, the Revit API or, you know, or get Python. the GPT yeah. to actually, yeah, or Python or just like, hey, these are my parameters, like, uh, I want to create wow. uh, an l-shaped building with this type of roof. Um, you know, here's the schema for for all the parameters. go. Uh, so um, yeah it's 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 fascinating to to see how things uh, evolve there.
0: And we're seeing Hypar do that, right? Yeah, where, where it's like describing a podium building in an l shape yeah. with 10 stories above it yeah. and and it's it is gener- it's it thinks about it and then there it is in full three d and it, is it exactly what you want? Maybe not, mm-hmm. right? No. Probably not, but at the same time, like uh, that took 10 seconds like that from from just writing a sentence and, and maybe editing that sentence to get something a little bit different is a, an amazing starting point. Yeah. <clears throat> and it goes back to the idea that Ian talked about in the very beginning, which is why do we always start with a blank page? Why are we yeah. forced to start with a blank page? I mean, this is a this is a super shortcut, right to to having something to Bounce ideas off of, yeah. uh, just through writing natural language. I think it's absolutely incredible, and it's a paradigm shift for the way we approach what we do. I mean, and mm. and what like you're you're talking about Core Studio. We have ideas for AI, right? Like this mm. this wasn't a thing in AEC five years ago. Like this idea of using it as a tool to to make stuff. Let alone. Mm. You know some of its other amazing uses to basically to categorize things automatically based on shapes and locations in room. Like we, we see it in so many different ways. Like there's putting adding structure to our unstructured data. Like using computer vision to pick things out mm. of a yeah. of an an image and and tell us what what's in there. I think it's absolutely incredible to see all these things come together. And for us to ignore that is crazy to me if if mm-hmm. firms are actively choosing to ignore that i think it's crazy because like this the way that i used to talk about digital practice when i was running the digital practice team in our firm was like we call it digital practice mm-hmm. we're going to just it's just going to be practice at some point <laughs> like everybody needs to think like and so this is another level of that this is like yeah. we call it ai we're it's just going to be in everything and you're not going to it's yeah. you're not going to be able to distinguish it as this other thing pretty soon, right? It's just going to be, and it already is in so many things and we just don't label it under that label, but it, we see it all the time, right? In in so many things that we do. Yeah. So uh, for pe- people to ignore it, I think is, is kind of foolish at this point because no, sure. it is a paradigm shift. It will change the way that yeah. we approach, or it already has changed the way that we approach doing what we do.
1: No, for sure. And I mean, I think it's easy to laugh at it now, like looking at some I don't know pictures, uh, like AI-generated pictures with some deformed hands or something like that. And but you know, I think it's just a matter of time, really. Like it's getting we're s- so
0: good at picking out those stupid little yeah. things and focusing <laughs> on that when when the yeah. bigger picture is like yeah. that was magic. Like yeah. that you have to. Uh, we all have to acknowledge that that was magic right that totally. it's it's that kind of a thing it's like it i and i've told this story before so so forgive me audience but i don't i haven't talked about this with emil but it's this idea of 3d printing right and, and it's working all night building this model for you on your behalf like yeah yes you have to babysit it a little bit because you don't want spaghetti right but at the same time like So so the interaction I had with a senior architect was like, well, why does it take so long? I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, (laughs) that is literally magic. And it does it while you're sleeping. What do you mean? Why does it take so long? Right? Like, again, missing the the forest for the trees. It's like, Mm -hmm. I think it's similar with this AI thing. It's like, look at what's going on. Big picture. This is, this is... a new era. I mean, I and I hate to say it because it, you see that all over the place. It is this is the next iPhone moment. Whatever those things <laughs> are, like this is a this is a paradigm shift. And it and the reason I say that is because it it when was it? It was 2017. I was doing a tech conference in our firm, and it's like think back 10 years. 10 years ago, did anybody think that every single person was going to basically have a supercomputer in their pocket? Right. 10 years. That was just mm-hmm. 10 years. Right. Yeah. And nobody could raise their hand and say, "Yes, I totally saw that coming." Nobody, right? Um, I think it's it. This is kind of like that. It's like, what is this going to look like in the next five years? What is this going to look like in the next ten years? It's going to be undistinguishable from all of the. It's going to be tied into absolutely everything.
1: Yeah. For good or for worse, no, for
0: I, better or for worse. I mean, there's you know.
1: No, for sure. I I think I had a similar aha moment um, when I used. Um, ChatGPT for the first time and you realize this. This is not a chatbot. This is a brain. Like mm, I think mm-hmm. just like understanding that it's it's not necessarily the interface of me chatting. Like this is a this is a brain that's automated that sits on a server and just do stuff. Um, yeah, and just like having having that tool in the pocket, like deploying brains for different processes. It's just um, yeah, mind blowing.
0: I think second brain. Yeah. Yeah. This episode is made possible with support from Confluence. Picture this, October 2019, Lexington, Kentucky. The birthplace of Confluence. A place where tech leaders, AEC product developers, and practitioners came together for three transformative days. It was more than a conference. It was a confluence of ideas, discussions, and unforgettable social experiences. Since then, over 200 attendees have experienced the magic of Confluence. I've had the privilege of being part of three of these remarkable gatherings, two in Kentucky and one in Orange County, each one a melting pot of learning, collaboration, and camaraderie around a topic shaping our industry. And now we're thrilled to announce the next Regional Confluence event in April 2024 in the vibrant heart of New York City. This time, we dive deep into the realms of AI and machine learning, unraveling their mysteries and potentials in our industry. Are you interested in being part of this exciting journey? To continue the conversation to shape the future, visit the link in the show notes for more details. Confluence, where ideas flow, connections form, and the future of AEC technology is shaped one conversation at a time. My thanks to Confluence for supporting this episode of the Troxel podcast. And now let's get back to the conversation. Yeah, so so let's talk about Rhino Anywhere. Uh, we still have a couple topics that I want to get to here. So let's talk about Rhino Anywhere and this idea of uh, putting Rhino basically into a web browser, where you have direct modeling capabilities. You're using fancy terms like pit- pixel streaming going on, and, and so just break that down for for people who don't know what that is and and what was interesting to you about chasing after this project.
1: No, for sure. I mean, I think. Um you know, modeling is hard, like 3D modeling is hard, and it's even harder to build good systems that do 3D modeling. Um, and, you know, that's why you have people like McNeil that have been developing Rhino for, you know, decades. 25 and, years,
0: they just had their 25th oh, five year anniversary, wow. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy, that's crazy.
1: Yeah. So it takes time, and you know, you can, you can probably build something simple for drawing, you know, a line starting from point A to point B, but like if you actually wanna get that, you know, fully fledged 3D modeling environment, that's hard. So, um, but then on the other hand, you have um, obviously constraints being, um, um, you know, tied to a desktop application, you gotta have the Rhino, um, um, you know, um, Rhino installed, and uh, there is a little bit of a process there. And we started to think about like, you know, what, what if we actually wanted to, well, first of all, have the ability to just get access to essentially Rhino's modeling capabilities um, in a browser, essentially like going to the browser, typing up an address uh, or a domain, get there, and then you have a 3D modeling environment. And um, I mean, we kind of attacked it from the angle of, um, okay, this is kind of a library. It's not necessarily a fully-fledged product that's ready to go. It's more like, here is a, piece of technology um, and you can do pretty much whatever you want with it. Um, So we hacked together a little Rhino interface on the web really. And the way that it works is you have um, Rhino running on a server and um, typically what you do when you want to uh, visualize 3D models uh, on the web is like you send the entire 3D model uh, to the client. Uh, But here we actually wanted to try something different. Um, so what we did instead was just to essentially mirror the viewport that's, that was on the server. Like, in other words, the Rhino viewport to a browser. So that was one component, just getting the, the stream, uh, of, um, images really. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. if you think about it, like a 3d viewport, is just an image, right? Mm-hmm. So we take that image, we send it to a, um, uh, a web client. And then there is communication going the other way around, uh, as well. Like from the browser, like you have all these like click events. Like if you, if you now actually see the, the thing in your browser, you want to be able to click on an object or like select something or maybe like draw something. So there is a stream of, um, of, uh, input data really like flowing from the client to the server. Mm-hmm, so then you mm-hmm. have this relationship, like, um, the, the the browser, the client provides a bunch of inputs, which then the um, viewport reacts on. And for every change in the viewport, you take that frame, really, like the picture of the viewport and then send it back to the, the client. Um, so, I mean, we, we started to like sketch out a bunch of different ideas, what you could do with this. Like you can like create a completely new interface for rhino i mean we talked about like what if you have disabilities maybe you don't have any hands like how would you do 3d modeling then like you can completely override all the um you know typical um tooling you would see in a 3d modeling software um or you know other ways i think another idea like how do you do 3d modeling for kids like uh you know can you like mess around with bigger buttons can you like you know, simplify the user interface a bit more, like, just like, like all these uh, different ideas. Tinkercad,
0: I think. Was yeah, the yeah, Tinkercad, think- right. yeah, yeah, Tinkercad, right. Yeah. The idea of kind of simplifying an interface, right, in a tool that's been around for so long and just it keeps getting more and more complex over time, more buttons, more commands, and because Rhino is a tool for lots of domains, not just architecture, right, there could be a way for you to just pick and choose commands that you want to enable somebody to use and not have to worry about 80 percent of them or 90 percent or 95 percent of them right and just say with these simple this is what sketchup did very successfully right it was just like how do we dial it back into like eight tools (laughs) that that can do most of what people need to do and then they made the tool extensible so people could write plugins and do all kinds of other stuff right but the idea in the beginning was just like simplify 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 because Uh, As CAD technicians and 3D technicians with very robust tools, it was too overwhelming for most people, right? And so the idea of taking a tool that does exist, that has the richness and the depth and everything that you could possibly want, and then simplifying a UI on top of that and doing it through the web browser and making it available no matter what device you have, it's kind of an incredible feet that you guys pulled off at a hackathon right like that's 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 pretty awesome
1: yeah thanks uh, thanks Evan I mean it was a really fun project I think um, we had all the, the components there really like we had an idea of how we could implement it we had kind of the pitch I think that's that's super important to think about in a hackathon project like how do we actually frame this how we, how do we present it and you know what's the uh, value proposition here etc Um and um you know just starting to build out that case uh in parallel you know you you work on the implementation and the uh the tool development um yeah. but and then just you know just have fun that's that's also an extremely important aspect of uh hackathons and you just you know allow yourself to experiment and mess around and you know fail and you know pick it up again and and so forth yeah
0: this was the thing that originally enabled me to reach out to you was just seeing that like it was I saw your post on LinkedIn about Rhino Anywhere and, and what you guys had done and I thought oh, I we need to talk about this because <laughs> just we haven't broached the subject of of hackathons on on the podcast yet and so this is a great kind of introduction for people who haven't participated in those or people who have have watched from the sidelines maybe for many years of why they might want to show up at one of these events and get involved because again like this this work that you guys pulled off is going to go back and it is going to initiate some other ideas in the work that you do in the office even i would assume like that like you're you're inspiring people on the outside, you're going to inspire yourselves, you're going to inspire people on the inside. And I, that's kind of this magical thing of what hackathons and these symposiums and AEC tech and other versions of that that exist out there can do for people. And I think uh, this is a really vital part of the AEC industry and the AEC tech community, right, to, to build those relationships and then just hopefully keep that momentum going beyond this one event and this kind of initial proof of concept. It's like, yeah. well, maybe this has legs. Like, what? So, what kind of feedback have you gotten after showing that off, even outside of the event? Because obviously, like, social media posts after right. these events are, are, everybody's watching them. So, I'm sure you've gotten a lot of feedback.
1: No, for sure. I mean, it's uh, it's always interesting to see how. People react to it, and you know what what kinds of conversations that get started just from mm. from seeing it. I mean, there was another year we um, worked on a uh, project called Rest Hopper, which was mm. this was just by the time where Rhino Compute came out. Essentially, the idea of you know hosting a um, Rhino process inside of inside of a web server, and we ask ourselves, uh, can we run a grasshopper script as a back end essentially and um uh so we did that for um you know 24 hours i think this was back in 2018 or something like that um and yeah we were able to develop a quick dirty little prototype i mean it was extremely ugly but it kind of proved the concept of like okay here we have a grasshopper definition i think we had a typical you know twisted building kind of things like you provide some uh you know <laughs> of some course. yeah always like you have the angle of rotation and all that and um yeah. you know again using the the browser uh kind of an, as an argument to you know democratize um um uh, the design process and just like opening up these kind of configurators and like um systems to to um to other people that are, might not be on a um you know um heavy heavy laptop with Rhino installed um and um yeah we're able to build that prototype and um uh posted some some um some videos on on the internet and uh, got some pretty good response and to the point we actually started to talk about making a solution out of it internally at TT so sometimes that happens as well like you actually Mm -hmm. um it actually, it can turn out to to be a real real project sometimes. And, and uh, uh, that's also quite fascinating to see, like, um, you know, sometimes it's more like an inspiration and, you know, a conversation starter, like, you know, pixel streaming, uh, which we used in in the Rhino Anywhere hackathon project. That's been around for a long time, but not necessarily that much in the AEC industry. I mean, in, in, in right. gaming, it's quite common, right? It's like you... You want to play some really, um, intense, um, you know, first person shooter game on your shitty laptop, but, um, and then, yeah, you essentially rent, um, uh, a server, uh, or a computer, um, and, um, yeah, you get access to that power, uh, of, of, uh, of computes really, and then you can play these games. So, um, and, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a way of like starting conversations and potentially even like work. Uh, continue the, the the projects either like if you do something in the office or sometimes we see uh projects kind of resurrect in other hackathons as well like you know you kind of build on top of what's been developed yeah. uh, in previous hackathons
0: so um
1: yeah it's a, it's a good conversation starter
0: that's cool well let's talk about your other project that you've got going on model up and what what that's about and why you, why that's something that you're pursuing as well because when i looked at your webpage, uh i one of the things that I think it was in the about section at model. It's modelup.co. Is that correct?
1: Uh, it's, yep. mo, hang on, it's modelup3d.com.
0: Oh, okay, modelup3d.com. So tell yeah. us about that project and, and what what you're doing there.
1: No, for sure. I mean, I think there is certainly a good link here to what we have discussed previously. So, I mean, it's really the idea of um, taking, you know, the intelligence of the extremely powerful you know, parametric design tools that we work with, but I mean, in our context, we kind of have that encapsulated in, you know, our industry. So what we ask ourselves, like, what happens if you actually expose these, um, type of tools in a dummified or simplified versions to our bigger audience? So that's what we do. We, we develop 3d configurators, essentially, you know, you have a viewport where you see a 3d model. And then you have some controls um, to manipulate the 3D model, and mm-hmm. obviously, extremely inspired by how Grasshopper works, right? Like you, you, have sliders, you have, you know, buttons and you know toggles and all that, and you know, messing around with these parameters will update the model. Um, so, um, yeah, what we do, we we don't necessarily work with neither architects or engineers or, um, you know people in the building industry, it's more about targeting kind of, um, you know, a lot of, um, building products more on the like homeowner side or, um, yeah, we have one company that we work with that produces, um, um, kind of outdoor rooms, like aluminum systems with, with, um, glass really. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, we help them to build 3d configurators essentially, and it's really you know, kind of leveraging the computational design tools that we've been working on uh, with uh, for for so long
0: again kind of productizing something to productize something. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like No, sort of, yeah. It's, it's inception. It's uh, <clears throat> I mean your the whole idea of configurators. Again, kinda new to AEC in that respect. We we see I've seen it with ShapeDiver as well. Maybe we can talk about the difference between what we're seeing with ShapeDiver versus model up. But the idea of giving somebody else outside of the organization access to a certain number of parameters and options and making it so that they can make decisions based yeah. on the inputs that you provide, I think, is super interesting, right? And it, and it gives a practice or a firm the ability to, I mean, drive interaction, include people yeah. in the decision making process, but also potentially productize a thing that they've, yeah. I mean, the, the logic that goes into making that is your. I guess that's your IP at that point, right? And it, it becomes a thing though that yeah. with their decisions, they can send that information back to you and y- you could probably tie costs and all kinds of things to that to to automatically provide that information yeah. to them. But then you basically have a snapshot of their order, yeah. in, in quotes, right? And that becomes a, a, another avenue for you to produce a thing that people then purchase and it's another maybe a, a business idea, so.
1: No, totally. I mean, exactly. I think that's really it. Like the information. Like, I think for us being, um, you know, comfortable with 3D modeling and parametric design, this Mm -hmm. is kind of basics, right? Like, for, but for someone who has no idea how to use 3D modeling, maybe doesn't even have a laptop, um, like being able to generate a, you know, visualization of a kitchen or, you know, Mm -hmm. um, a do it yourself table or like all these things and like getting the drawings and, you know, bill of materials, it's magic. Like that's magic for them. Um, so, um, yeah, I think it's just really fascinating thinking about parametric design and like computational design and, you know, grasshopper logic and putting that sort of outside our industry. Uh, and you know, see the value that that can provide is, is uh, it's pretty immense
0: and and they don't even need to know it's grasshopper they don't need to no know exactly know they don't that.
1: care yeah exactly they yeah, don't care about grasshopper yeah. yeah they just want to build that kitchen or like the you know the table or chair or whatever like just give me the drawings like tell me how much like um material material i need to buy etc so it's um
0: or place an order i mean yeah or right? place an order <laughs> exactly no, for if you're sure. gonna if you're gonna do all that on your on your end that that's really a, a cool idea and so i mean you've talked about a couple of of ideas like a chair a table like will give us an idea of the types of configurators that you've you've built beyond beyond furniture
1: yeah, I mean, do we you have, have
0: the few... IKEA kitchen generator? Do you have you duplicated the IKEA <laughs> well, website Swedish, functionality? I'm of course. Like... Yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. I mean, I okay. Think... So where's the Volvo configurator? <laughs> the what, what Volvo configurator we... <laughs> check.
1: Yeah. What else? I mean, Spotify configurator, maybe. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. Music no, but, playlist uh, configurator. There you go. Exactly.
1: Um, no, I mean we have a few projects in the pipeline that I probably can't talk too much about at this stage, but it's it's. Um, it's kind of mainly targeting um like the home owners and home improvements markets nice um and so that's really like one leg of what we do so that's the kind of us building our own configurators that we you know release more of a b2c kind of setup and then we have the other mm-hmm. uh, leg which is the kind of more typical b2b like you know we get in touch with um, companies, they describe their business and their production system, and we build 3D configurators for them. And um, that can be also twofold. Either they just want to present something for uh, their customers to you know, increase sales or you know, improve conversions or whatever. Um, or it can be just automating internal processes related to production uh and sometimes it's actually both even um so um yeah it just has a lot of potential when you actually get in to these um companies with the you know parametric design chops and you can you know actually build something well you prototype you can prototype it out quite quickly right using using grasshopper so Mm -hmm. that's also like one of the um I guess sales and marketing mechanisms that we've been using quite a lot, just like that ability to put stuff together on an afternoon. I mean, it's it's um, yeah, it's fascinating, and it's um, yeah, people get impressed when they actually see their products in 3D, configurable, you know, from from that short amount of time.
0: And, and maybe this is a bit of an aside, but my my gears are turning in my brain with the new stuff that's coming out with rhino 8 which has recently mm. been released which is like in grasshopper being able to reference in Rhino files, blocks having control over all of these different objects all their la- knowing all their layers knowing all their materials and just like further extending the capabilities of i would guess these configurators because now they can just you can pull so much more rich information into them like you don't just have to define a curve or define a you know define this geometry or a a surface or whatever but it's like wow now you could have a library of Mm. objects in their own files that you could then pull in and reference into this and it's like a pretty incredible XREF kind of a system at this point, totally, right? Yeah. Where where these things you you bring a writable model in into Grasshopper so that you can spit it back out the other end. I mean, that's just it's incredible. The possibilities are truly endless, yeah. and so this the extensibility of the system is just continues to yeah. to blow me away of of what these tools have made us capable yeah. of doing as as users. So no, totally, I'm super. Yeah.
1: No, for sure, I'm I'm super psyched about the whole. Uh, Push around uh, Rhino 8 and how they, I mean, the McNeil people actually uh, are able to, uh, you know, build this out as well. Like, of course, like they have the core business. I I talked to Brian from McNeil at at uh, at some point, and he was describing like, um, you know, there is one type of Rhino users. They they use Rhino um, and they do 3D modeling for different things, and then you have like the Grasshopper and scripting folks, and it's actually quite different than. Must yeah. be quite hard to um, accommodate both of these audiences and you know, making sure that both are happy happy. But I mean I, I obviously right. belong to the grasshopper and automation and writing common scripting audience and I'm happy. <laughs> so so it's uh yeah, yeah, it's 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 really good to see like all the cool things that are happening. I mean, as you mentioned with the uh, the Rhino tab in in um, in Grasshopper for for Rhino 8, and there are some other really nice um, um, yeah developments that's been released with with Rhino 8 as well.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. I I think we've covered all the bases here. Is there anything else that we're missing that you wanted to put out there for the audience or chat about?
1: No, I mean I think. Um... Yeah, more hackathons. Come to hackathons and organize hackathons. I think it's just an amazing opportunity to, um, you know, network and get together, have fun, you know, hack on something, uh, dream a bit, actually implementing these dreams, and um, you know, mess around with new technology and tools and, and and stuff like that. And there aren't actually that many that organizes um, hackathons in 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 our industry. Um, I mean there are a few obviously like core studio it being one of them but um it doesn't actually require that much um well I shouldn't say that because Dave my colleague would would hate me then but uh it's it's you know it's not like organizing a conference where you need like you know space mm-hmm. to sit in and you know like speakers and all that it's more like you know a bunch of people show up um and you hack on things and yeah it's it's just a fantastic format and in general just like you know building communities and making friends really so uh, i would encourage people to to do that
0: you got to bring lots of extension cords and power strips and coffee right <laughs> That's <true>. and, yeah <laughs> it's it's different also. than a than a big conference but the <laughs> yeah. but the, it's there are components that are necessary i just Absolutely. thinking about like the the advancements in just laptop computing in the last decade of what has been capable to be accomplished at a hackathon just because hardware has advanced so much is is got to be such a cool thing like the things that you guys can hack together in a day is incredible and you're doing it all on a very portable device it's just it's pretty neat to watch that happen
1: no for sure and it's um yeah i think also the if i just look at the hackathons that we have hosted for you know um a decade like the level of um outcomes has been uh just evolving dramatically like it's so impressive to see like how the bar is raised for every year and it's 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 really fascinating to to observe and it just continues to raise and and and, um yeah it's just a fascinating playful environment that i think is really really fun
0: So who is not coming to these hackathons that should be? I think that that's a good question to ask because I have an idea, but I want you to answer that first because it seems to me like it's going to attract the usual suspects. Like you've built this community. There's people who are definitely wired for this, but who should be there who's not?
1: That's a good question. I mean, I think there is certainly a level of um, zooming out a bit. Like I guess you can just like see your day-to-day work and just like grind on. And, uh, you know, maybe you're not too passionate about what you're doing. Maybe they should actually come. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. cause it's, it's really like, you know, you actually get to do fun stuff and, you know, think about real problems from a kind of fun perspective. Um, but, um, I mean, obviously like depending on the location, of course, there can be some, some, uh, logistical components to it that can be tricky, uh, but, um, yeah so maybe maybe that what did you think of
0: my idea is that leaders firm leadership Mm. who is interested in digital transformation or the capacity or the like like what it could do i think they would get so inspired going to a thing like that and just being an observer and walking around the tables and watching the passion for this because i think there's still a separation in in some firms that like that there's a digital team and that's that's what they're just part they're they're another team under the umbrella and the shift like i said earlier going from calling it digital practice or whatever you want to call it to practice is inevitable right and so the idea of like this it's not how we do it it's like I mean, it's hard. Tools are not a means to the end, but they are the only way that we actually get there nowadays. Yeah. right? So and so it's it's interesting to me to to start to shift the conversation around this is a our firm does digital. Our firm does sustainability <laughs> and thinking about this as a menu of options yeah. versus check, check. like yeah. this is the way that we do things. And shifting that in leadership is extremely important for those leaders who are not, uh, they don't have visibility into that because they're not seeing it, maybe in their own firm, or they don't know where to look, or they don't they don't know who to ask. Going to a place like this would just, I would I would think, light an intense fire of of FOMO, right? Uh, <laughs> that to me would be, it could be a catalyst then for change on many other levels in the industry that need it because of course you have this community that is super fired up about this stuff and like you said maybe it's even a reprieve from the day to day and it's something Mm -hmm. new and exciting and it'll light a fire and get them excited about why they do what they do and on another level we we need this industry-wide we need to address the adoption thing and we need to address that like raising all boats with the tide kind of a thing not just unique firms who are willing to invest substantially into this kind of thing or individuals who are investing in themselves to bring these tools to their firm and it falling on deaf ears or whatever like so so to me it's it, like we just need more players in this and i feel like the grassroots level is there you're proving it ac mm. tech is a grassroots level thing but and and thornton thomasetti with core studio is proving the other model exists too right top down because of the, that big investment, but we really sure. need, I think we need a lot more of that because I think the grassroots side of it's covered. Right? Like students learn how to do this stuff in school, they go to a firm, and the firm isn't using it. right? And so like you sought out a company that was kind of digital first. There are so many companies out there who are not, and people are mm. trying to get tools into the door, and they're going nowhere. And so to kind of flip that, I, I would say like the invitation needs to go out to firm leadership, not just CEOs, but Mm. COOs and and other people who are like their their day to day, like CFOs, like CFOs want Mm. to see innovation and change like they're invested in their companies and. I actually see sometimes more passion from a chief financial officer than I do from a chief executive officer as far as innovation and transforming the way that a firm works because they want to add value to their customers they want more customers right they want more clients and they want to have they want to have an innovative architectural portfolio or engineering portfolio right and so they're also going to be a key Person at the table who's making decisions about digital transformation in their company. So, anyway, that's my my soapbox for, no, for the absolutely. end of the episode I th-
1: here. I think you're totally right. Uh, I think you know the the top brass and, and uh, more senior folks would really have fun at, um, at this kind of events, and mm. I think it's also. Um, I mean, some people think of hackathons like you gotta know how to write code to participate meaningfully in in a hackathon and that's that's not true. I mean there is so many aspects to hack project project and and um, um so yeah i mean even if you if you're a you know c see something c level executive um, and you don't know how to code, like you can certainly like be there and you know, have a, have a good time actually participating in projects or just hang out, like that's the other model. So, so yeah. for sure, I, th- I think you're absolutely right.
0: I, I think that idea of kind of flipping the table of like a C-level person is used to being the talker, the, the decider, the one who is listened to, this flips the tables. Like you, if you go into an uh, environment like this where the experts are the ones driving the laptops, driving the technology, and just soak it up, just sponge yeah. it up, I mean, and and just like you said, just kind of go and relax and, and watch what happens. And I think that would be an incredible opportunity to actually fade a little bit into the background and not have to be the one on stage performing. And instead, let the people who are really, really passionate about that and doing that thing be those people. And you get to sit on the other side of the table for once. I think that could be that could just feel really cathartic too. It's like, because then yeah. you can go back to your firm and you can enable that to happen yes. at, a, yep. at, a, at the highest level um, and and figure out ways to attract that talent to your firm uh, yeah. and figure out ways to get that culture going in your firm. I mean, that, that to me is what leaders have to do uh, to yeah. be relevant in the future anyway, right? So this is a great place to kind of get infused with that on a very in a very meaningful way in a very short period of time.
1: No, for sure. I think, you know, you you get impressed by how much you can accomplish in just 24 hours with, you know, um, good energy, like a good team, a clear mission. And um, so, I mean, we've had um, sort of internal innovation tournaments at Titi. We don't call it hackathons, but um, so that's another way, like um, mm, just yeah. deciding, okay, for two days, we're just going to, you know, innovate or, like, you know, have ideas tournaments and, you know, see where we can take it in, in, you know, one or two days. So that's the other um, takeaway I think uh, that can be interesting that you get a kind of a sense for uh, when you attend a, a hackathon.
0: I think that's really important is to actually separate innovation in air quotes from the day to day job because it's i think there's an expectation on some level that innovation just happens right and it doesn't it does not happen it's like we're just trying to solve problems Hmm. there's no guarantee innovation again in air quotes will happen um and every company wants to say they're an innovative company and they're innovating with technology or in design or sustainability or whatever they whatever it is right but to separate this thing out and have these tournaments and actually say like, okay, this is we're not worried about billing to projects right now. No, we're we're just interested in incubating ideas and the value of that process and stretching those muscles and getting that to be part of the culture. That's a great way to do that. I absolutely agree that that's really that's really cool to hear that you do that internally as well in, in this tournament style
1: yeah no for sure it's it's fun I mean it's um it's I think what I find fascinating and as you said like you always have a bunch of context in your daily work right like you you work on this project and you know these are the constraints in hackathons it's not really like that it's it's more Mm -hmm. like you're starting out from a blank piece of paper right so it's it's um that's really enabling i think um just like i can do whatever i want now (laughs) blue (laughs) sky yeah blue sky like no no legacy code base to support here let's just go for it
0: right right well very cool i i appreciate this conversation it's been really fun to talk to you emil so uh, i'm going to put links to hopefully everything that we've talked about Uh, so we'll have Thornton Tomasetti, we'll have Core Studio, we'll have the AEC Tech Hackathon, we'll have modelup3d.com. Is there anywhere else that people can follow along with what you're doing? I'll, I'll put a link to your LinkedIn page as well, but um, I think I think that might cover it all. But if there's anything yeah. else, let me know.
1: No, I think that's that's perfect. I mean, I I, I use Twitter and LinkedIn mostly. So yeah.
0: Okay. Great. Well, awesome. thanks for this conversation. It's been great.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Ivan. Uh, pleasure to be here chatting with you.
0: Thanks to our sponsors and thanks to our members this week. Find out how you can become a member at trxl.co and I'll talk to you again next week.